0: some call it the american desert others the great plains but those phrases were invented by professors at universities surrounded by the illusion of order and the fantasy of right and wrong to know it you must walk in bleed until it's dark drown in its rivers then its name becomes clear it is home and there are demons everywhere
1: Pod Clubhouse's coverage of 1883, a prequel series to Yellowstone. I'm Caroline.
2: And I'm Mike. Tonight we're discussing the 1883 series premiere, appropriately titled... 1883.
1: 1883 was created by Taylor Sheridan, and tonight's episode was also written and directed by Taylor.
2: A few days before the series premiere, we were given the chance to participate in a virtual roundtable press interview with all of the core cast members. So stay tuned to the end of our discussion tonight because we're going to be playing our roundtable interview with Tim McGraw. And then we have Faith Hill and Isabel May and LaMonica Garrett and Sam Elliott all coming up in the next few weeks.
1: I'm excited for all of those interviews. Tonight, we have a special guest with us. Paul from Pod Clubhouse. He's joining us because he had an opportunity to both sit in on those interviews and had an opportunity to see this pilot. So we always invite collaboration here on Pod Clubhouse. We've invited Paul to come and chat with us today.
2: Hey, everybody. That's, that's Old West air horn for you. I guess actually Amazing. in this, if we more, more like the Fort Worth, you know, just guns blasting into the air <laughs> right, exactly. for crowd control. Yes. I,
0: mean, you, I mean,
2: obviously you guys you guys are in Texas, you don't live in Fort Worth, but tell me, accurate portrayal of Fort Worth as we see it here? Is this what it's pretty much like?
1: Oh, the funniest thing to me was when they were comparing Fort Worth to Dallas and there was like a, if you want to stay somewhere nice you should stay in Dallas, I kind of snickered to myself because that's still very true. Of the two <laughs> places, Dallas is definitely higher end. Other than that, I mean, the stockyards are still there, there's beautiful restaurants, and there's lots of stuff to see and do, so I heartily encourage our listeners to go check out Fort Worth. They have the sign that's like where the west begins I
3: mean, pistols
2: are completely optional at this point though uh, uh,
1: but here in texas you can wear them
3: i mean they're encouraged
2: <laughs> but <laughs> i mean i like the guy's uh, double-edged sword advice to to james in this episode you'd be a fool not to have a gun but if you pull it you best know how to use it still true
1: very very true do not pull it if you're not planning on pulling the trigger
2: I love a good history period piece show. And so the Learn Have a Hell's Half Acre, which is how the subtitle, the title card introduces it, was actually a real area of Fort Worth. And on top of it was a red light district. That's wild to me that well, that's were a where they're setting
3: this. In that scene.
1: <laughs> yep, it was whores aplenty. <laughs>
2: Whores of plenty. That sounds like the best candy possible from like Nestle. Have you had Whores of Plenty available at Christmas time?
1: Yeah, but here's the thing. I mean, Fort Worth's just like that. There's also a restaurant there. <laughs> 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 I don't mean to be like that. I just meant to be like that. first Caroline's they're just kinda... been
2: appointed to the tourism board of Fort Worth.
1: <laughs> There's definitely restaurants where like when you remember the restaurant, like where you go in and if you're wearing a tie, they snip it off with scissors and put it on the wall. Like it's a whole thing. It's part of their their
2: yeah. their whole spiel. Right.
1: So yeah, I mean they're just a little bit like we're not formal up in here okay we have horrors get used to it
2: uh, so, I mean, it was called the Bloody Third Ward at this time in history. They stay at the Hotel Calhoun. Mm-hmm. That is a real street name. I don't know if it's still a street name, but it was a real street name at this time.
1: We have Calhoun here in Houston as well. So that's that's a popular name for naming streets in Texas.
2: The white elephant that they name drop The one where Thomas suggests they go and recruit. And Captain Shea, Sam Elliott, says, you know, if, if they're the white elephant, then I don't want them. Known for its entertainment, whores, and gunfighting. Again, not... not... Not such a bad time in old Fort Worth, depending on what you're looking for.
1: Taylor Sheridan had one of his first gigs with Walker, Texas Ranger. The white elephant is the bar they used. They renamed it for the show. But that is the bar that they used in the show for Walker, Texas Ranger. Really? Yeah, I think I want to say it was called CG, CD, something like that. So Taylor Sheridan has some roots here in Fort Worth.
3: Given this setting, the way that it's being presented and the highly gritty nature of it, did you get any Deadwood vibes just kind of
2: soaking in Fort Worth? I get Deadwood vibes basically anytime that there is a Western. The spirit of this show, maybe not the Fort Worth scenes in general, but spoilers without spoilers, we've seen the first three episodes of the series. I actually had a lot of Hell on Wheels vibes.
3: Oh, that's just the one run by your friend that ran Nosferatu, right?
2: Yeah, she was like a story editor when it first started, but she eventually became the showrunner, I think, in the second season, Jamie O'Brien. That whole Wild West spirit and they were building the transcontinental railroad in that a lot of similar themes playing because of the time when it was taking place and the area so the parties that were involved kind of like over crossed over you know a lot of violence also
3: that element that that if you watch older westerns you, you get the sort of almost like a samurai sense of honor with like the shootout and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas w- when you get like the more modern takes, it is definitely more Game of Thrones out there, right? Like yeah. killer B killed. It is very dirty, very grimy. You may, where you fall, someone may just leave you there until the pigs get you. It's a, ba- <laughs> it's a bad
2: deal. It's not unlike the actual Western setting parts that take place in Westworld. Saloon fights break out and shooting breaks out. Or the man in black comes to town and just decides to kill everyone. Elsa Dutton has a lot of Dolores vibe about her. I felt the same, especially Definitely. in the cold open. I mean, that scene where she takes an arrow to the belly and keeps marching forward, shooting—that is Dolores from Westworld, if I've ever seen it. I think we've seen her
1: pull the exact same move. Yeah, <laughs> right.
2: I right. agree. <laughs> I mean, but also the way she soliloquies and everything she says. I mean, I have a bunch of like clips here pulled from the episode, and almost all of them are Elsa. Her voiceovers which read kind of like journal entries are all very poetic a lot of time and effort spent into them to make them sound like frontier poetry almost and that sounds a little corny but they they, they read and she delivers them with a real wistfulness it's, it's wide-eyed a, eyed earnestness
1: yeah it's yeah. a fascinating element to this story that taylor's telling because it is so rare to have a girl teenager coming of age story having this depicted in the middle of this gritty Wild West. We've had Laura Ingalls Wilder doing the whole prairie girl coming of age story. We've had that. Many people should get some vibes of that story in this. But Charles and Caroline had a very different lifestyle than James and Margaret. So we're getting this completely different, just raw version of the same time period.
3: I was thinking back when you guys were talking to the actors of trying to relate another story that was told primarily from a, a girl's point of view in that time period. And I was thinking maybe True Grit might have been the last time I had seen something like that. And even that, even with the remake of True Grit. With one of Mike's favorite actresses in it, it is not nearly as gritty as as this. I don't know if it come if it came through like a sanitized period of
2: when stories like that were told and narrated and stuff like that, or or, or what. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't see the remake. Who who was in it? That oh, is...
1: Haley. Steinfeld. Oh, Haley
2: Steinfeld. I do love <laughs> Haley Steinfeld. That
3: is true. Well, she's good in True Grit. If you've seen the old True Grit, it's mm-hmm. not like this huge. Oh well, a 2020 take or whatever that year came out take on on the western, but it is told. From her point of view. It's a fish-out-of-water story, basically. She's trying to settle up with men that killed her father, and she needs other bad men to go with her
2: to do that. So you don't Uh, mean like fat, drunk man climbing into her bed in the middle of the night in the hotel? No. Okay. Because that's a little bit of Elsa's experience. No, no. She she gets uh,
3: rooster Cogburn and a Texan. But that's the only other example I could think of, and that doesn't seem quite as as raw and gritty and gruff as, as what we're
2: talking about here. Is this what viewers are expecting especially people who are coming from yellowstone where yes you have a beth dutton but beth is you know tougher and scarier than almost all of the men on that series i mean she's the she's the in a lot of ways the truest son of john dutton in a in a manly testosterone kind of way is an elsa coming of age point of view based story are people going to be turned off by this is there enough there otherwise to get over that hurdle if this is not what you were coming for if
1: I think it's gonna take some people aback. I, I honestly do. I mean, I myself was kind of paused there when she was she was thinking about different different thoughts there that I was like, I don't know that say my dad wants to hear the the inner workings of a of a young girl here. Mm-hmm. Like, but I think they did a great job of balancing that with James and Margaret and Shay and Thomas. Like, I think we have enough of what they'd be looking for. That mainly Western voice is absolutely here. We talked in the interviews of about the idea of family and especially during the Civil War era of the veterans coming back and how hard the women and children had to work to survive to maintain any life for those men to come back to. How many times do you get to hear the stories of those women and children and what they are going through and what it's like to be on these journeys? We often hear, you know, the the cowboy story, but what about the cowboy's wife and the cowboy's kids and what was going on all around him? So I think it's a good balance. I hope that people stick I hope that I know one and two will be out in pretty quick succession. So I hope that that when they do that, they see like, no, 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 this is very balanced. You're going to get a lot of other voices, too.
2: The cold open promises that within short order, at least within the eight or nine or ten episodes of the season, Elsa and presumably her entire family are going to go on a very rough journey. And and there's two clips from this episode that really contrast you know how it started and kind of how it's going so i want to play them now and then kind of talk about what we think may be happening here this is from earlier in the episode uh, when she first gets to town
0: so much i don't know about life we learn to read we learn rules learn scripture and manners and how to avoid saying or doing things that make others uncomfortable all those things seem to be the opposite of life Seem to strangle it. But now, I'm sleeping on the edge of civilization. And soon, we leave the edge behind. Then no rules. Then only life. What an adventure. What an adventure for all of us.
2: Uh, but we quickly learn <laughs> rules are there for a reason because without rules we wind up with this
0: some call it the American desert others the Great Plains but those phrases were invented by professors at universities surrounded by the illusion of order and the fantasy of right and wrong to know it you must walk in bleed until it's dark, drown in its rivers, then its name becomes clear, it is home, and there are demons everywhere.
2: That is a stark contrast in not too much of a time jump. I mean, there's snowy mountains behind her in that opening scene. What's your take on how it starts versus that reconciling it to that opening scene, which takes place at some point in the future? Well, one, do you identify with this idea for thirst for adventure? This, you know, rules get in the way of living real life and, you know, on the edge of civilization is when adventure is possible.
1: I am not about the rules. I do not enjoy the rules. I feel like the rules are not for me. Um, <laughs>
2: This is true. <laughs> I have in my notes here: eighteen-year-old uh, Caroline was Elsa May. I mean, I mean, was Elsa Dutton? It's still May, but I mean, yeah. This is this is pretty much your life story, I think. For sure. I,
1: I definitely, I crave adventure. I'm looking for something else to be happening. I have had a very fascinating journey in the last couple of years of being able to sort of get a chance to do some hands-on history work with my kiddos. That has given me an opportunity to kind of reflect on what these journeys would actually be like for these pioneers and it is so gritty and so unbelievably primitive the things that people had to do in order to survive to to settle our country i hope that people understand and through her conversations both of those you get the beauty and the majesticness and everything but then you're getting these like demons and this the horror and the terror and everything that's going on and i feel like all of that was happening it's very like founding fathers for me like you have people you know boiling their shoes during the civil war and eating them because there's just no food, and then on the other hand, there's all these like beautiful poems about freedom and what it means to fight for your dream, and it's it's such a collision course going on here on, on these wagon trails. She gets it, you know she she's embodying this. I hope that people hang in there. Like I said, this is more poetic and more epic journey than I want to say that our Yellowstone watchers are used to. They're seeing these beautiful grand landscapes, but this is different than that. This is a whole idea of America and adventure that's so much bigger than I think just Yellowstone can can be at
2: times. Kind of like as if Yellowstone is about where you are 1883 is about the journey to get there. It's an epic story. It's Lord of the Rings. I mean, if if you're into, like, high fantasy, it's... There's a lot of crossover in those audiences. uh, Yes. (laughs) It's about the traveling to get there and the things that you're going to come upon, how it changes you. You know, it's also that hero's journey.
1: Well, and maybe also, like, the fight to keep what is is what we're seeing with Yellowstone. And and having this opportunity with 1883 to see what it took to create that world Mm -hmm. in the first place. I am going with the idea that most of our listeners... Are also watching Yellowstone. And so if you are not, I definitely encourage you to get over there and watch episodes of Yellowstone because I think you're going to hear a lot of us referencing over to Yellowstone. Obviously, this is one family story. One of the things about that is every single time someone comes and points fingers at John Dutton over in Yellowstone about how they got the land or how it happened, I'm really glad that they're actually getting a chance to answer some of those questions and show the struggle and the really rock and hard place choices that we're being made no one wanted to hurt anybody if they didn't have to but it was a kill or be killed situation and this is how it played out
2: paul you're a yellowstone watcher we're all yellowstone watchers what is something that you're looking to get out of this story as a yellowstone watcher are are they connected do you are you watching this because you watch yellowstone or are you looking for a new set of stories
3: I'm definitely watching this because I watch Yellowstone. However, I assumed that they were going to use the Josh Lucas version of John Dutton because it seemed like you had a built-in movie star. Hearing that they were going to set it so far into history, that leaves a lot of ground to cover between then and now that a lot can happen. A lot of surprises can happen. It doesn't have to take this straight line between siring the exact line of sons that get us to John Dutton there can be a lot of a lot of variation in there from what we think what various online wikis presuppose mm-hmm. i'm definitely in it for, for the ride uh, going back to what you were talking about with Caroline i kind of get lost in long poetic passages like that but i but i do pick up on the imagery where you get certain certain imagery of say Yellowstone as it stands now with like the the Rocky Mountains in the background and you can almost picture the the bald eagles flying around painting oh, por- oh. exactly painting the classic American portrait and you contrast that with the fire burning in the background calling where she is now fighting and calling that the desert of America a desert is almost always associated with a hopelessness you know if you're stuck in a desert you know, God help you. And so you contrast those things and, and you get this stark imagery that, that is backed up with things like, say, cellos being played primarily during that sequence, whereas you get kind of the hopeful higher, higher pitched violins and stuff with, uh-huh. with, with the other speech. You don't even need the speech to know it goes from good to bad
2: uh, in very right. broad strokes. She makes a great point. You know, that she's coming from Tennessee on this train. She knows, you know, the, the Great Plains. The, the future is out there. It's this idyllic setting. And it was until it wasn't, until your, all your shit's on fire and people are trying to kill you, you know? And so, and, and then it's hell and everyone is a demon, you know? But
1: it's that juxtaposition, though, of the most beautiful landscape and then a man stepping from behind the tree with a gun. Right. Like, it happens all at once. It's not one or the other. It's not the journey was beautiful and it went bad. It's, they, it was always beautiful and bad all at the same
2: time. Why is Taylor telling the story? What are the themes that he's looking to pull out? And when we were talking to the cast members in the interviews, we, either you or me asked, I think, almost all of them, what do you think people are going to get out of this? What are the stories? What are the themes? Almost across the board, they all said a version of their tales as old as time. And this story is going to focus on man versus nature, man versus man man versus himself i mean it was definitely a line that they had been, they had all talked about or at least had been given and i think it's true though and i think even in just this first episode you see that right you you see man versus you know nature in just the survival warnings that they're giving uh just the 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 scope of going 2000 miles from where you are to where you want to be obviously i mean how many people get shot in this episode (laughs)
1: Uh, you know, uh, this is a small little point to your man versus nature, but there's these little moments I'm hoping is going to feed over again. I'm assuming you're watching Yellowstone. It's going to feed over to what Jimmy's going through as as a newbie to Texas and, and rules that he needs to know and things that he needs to learn about being a cowboy in Texas. If you pull that in and say, OK, like, let's hear what different things are being warned about or talked about. And let's see how that plays out even now over in Jimmy's story. And I absolutely think you're going to find a lot of parallels. Else.
2: Man versus horse dick. Don't sleep on the ground. Let's talk about how this show fits into Yellowstone. Paul, I think you made the point that a lot of people who are at least going to initially tune into this are watching because they're watching Yellowstone. And we've heard John Dutton talk about, Kevin Costner, John Dutton, talk so much about my great-grandfather built this place, my great-grandfather this. This season in particular, the Yellowstone has been making lots of connections to this series. I think there have been at least two, maybe three, name drops to My Great-Grandfather by John Dutton. And they've had, as of this episode airing, now two flashbacks to the Tim McGraw 1883 cast. Uh, We saw it in episode one of season four, the the season premiere for this season, and episode eight, which aired the same night as the series premiere is airing, there was another flashback taking place a little bit after the scene from the season premiere scene. Who wants to take a stab at connecting us here in time caroline again you and i have spent a lot of time i think we lost uh, two days of doing genealogy research into these fake characters
1: they're very real mike for god's sake
2: i've never been to montana they might be real i don't know
1: let's start off with the very first most important thing james dutton who is played by tim mcgraw is the great grandfather this is very important because there's a lot of people out there who think it's his grandfather, and so great-grandfather.
2: He's going to have two sons. We know from the season premiere of Yellowstone, and if you watched episode eight of Yellowstone, there are two boys. There is a 15-year-old boy John named John, John Dutton, and then there is a younger son who it, we know from IMDb is named Spencer. I was hoping his name would be Lee, but apparently it turns out it's Spencer. <laughs>
1: (laughs) (laughs) We were hoping because we were trying to explain Lee's name in today's timeline for Yellowstone. That's why you're laughing over there. But we were trying to figure out where Lee came from. So,
2: right. So one of those two, presumably it is 15 year old John. He's five years old in 1883 when the series premiere, the Tim McGraw series premieres. What you guys watch, what you're listening to us talk about, John Dutton, who's referred to as John Dutton Senior, is five years old. In the, flash, in the flashbacks that you've seen in Yellowstone this season, he is about 15 years old because those take place in 1893. That's when it's Grizzly Tim McGraw. He's all bearded up. Uh, he's looking a little bit older. If you watch the episode 8 flashback from Yellowstone, you see Faith Hill is there and she is an aged Margaret. The boys are still about the same age. So they're roughly 15 years old for John Dutton Sr. And the younger brother is probably somewhere somewhere between 5 and 10 years old you know, or or you know, five and 10 years old, I, I would guess he's probably in the eight, nine, 10 year old range. Uh, I think maybe he was conceived in the bathtub in Hotel Calhoun. I think that's my guess.
1: That's my guess as well, 100%. So
2: I think what it is, is John Dutton Sr., the five-year-old in 1883, is going to give birth in about 25 years or so to Dabney Coleman john dutton the old man who plays kevin costner's father in yellowstone is going to be the son of the five-year-old john dutton in this series you guys with me does that sound right Yes, I'm with you. Because based on rough dates, uh, this is how far I went down this rabbit hole. Call him Alice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So John Dutton, Sr., the little boy, he's five in 1883. That makes him 15 in 1893. That puts him at about 32 years old in 1910. Okay, I'm guessing that Dabney Coleman, John Dutton, is born somewhere between 1910 and and 19... he has to be and probably closer to 1910 he's 90 years old when he dies which has to happen between 2000 and 2010 based on the fact that they're using kevin costner in the flashback and not josh lucas so you're getting an older john dutton which makes him which makes kevin costner john dutton the third around 1950 1955 which makes are Kevin Costner of Yellowstone, John Dutton, somewhere between 66 and 71 years old in Yellowstone.
1: A lot of people might go back to the Yellowstone Wikipedia right now and say, that's not right. Dabney Coleman's called John Senior and blah, blah. But remember, all of those things were filled out by fellow audience members, not by the creators. And also new information is going to be coming from 1883 and change all that up.
2: It's impossible for Dabney Coleman, John Dutton to be Tim McGraw, James Dutton's son. That would make him about 120 years old when he dies. And yes, he looks old. He's not that old. That would also make Kevin Costner about 85, 90 years old in in the current series, which again... Dutton's
3: have been hard to kill.
2: Hard hard to kill, hard to kill. But I think this is going to fall into the man versus nature category of, you know, time. Uh, So... (laughs) And the show has been very clear. There's even an Instagram post. If you follow Kevin Costner, or Tim McGraw, Tim McGraw refers to Kevin Costner as his great grandson in the Instagram post. It, this is definitely it. The only possible question is whether or not it's John Dutton, C. Uh, Junior. and Kevin Costner is John Dutton the third, or the alternative is that the younger brother. Spencer. Spencer, who is not alive when the series begins, 1883 begins, but is alive in the Yellowstone flashbacks that we've seen. If he is John's grandfather, and then has a son, which would be Dabney Coleman, names him John Dutton, and then Dabney Coleman John Dutton has a son, names him John Dutton Jr.
1: I'm going with that. John five years old passes.
2: Somehow oh, Spencer. Okay.
1: Spencer is grandfather, and in honorarium names his son after his brother right. John, who has passed. And then that's where the John Senior, Junior,
2: everything starts.
1: We're just given options here with the information we have,
2: uh, there, but uh, realistically speaking, those are the only two realistic options.
1: I hope that clears up a little bit for for the listeners because there's this is confusing. And it is, and there's a ton of bad information, way, information out
2: there. There's, there's a ton a of
1: ton uh, of bad. Well, and yeah. and and again. If information based on what we had seen so far in Yellowstone. So there's a ton of new information coming in. So if you're like, this is so confusing, I don't get it. Who are these people? Why are there so many Johns for God's sake? (laughs) This is what we're going with at this point. But we're going to keep following up that family tree as we go through the series with you and update it and help kind of like, you know, clean it up as we figure this out. Because, you know, one of the things we said was, how come he would name his second son James. In the current Yellowstone, where does Lee come from then? And that like opens a whole new can of worms over in Yellowstoneville. So I'm excited about that.
0: (laughs)
2: Does his self-loathing or his dislike of his father go so deep that he didn't name a John Dutton the third or fourth, which is... Also interesting um mm. there are unanswered questions though right there is the tombstone if you're out there and you're looking at Yellowstone pictures there there's two Dutton headstones that have been shown It's
1: Ned and chance
2: so Ned Dutton was in an early his headstone was shown in an early Yellowstone episode, which makes it seem as if he died in Montana well before the series of eighteen eighty three
1: which doesn't really make any sense to us eighteen forty three death date so and it and might he's, be
2: a retcon situation
1: i think so but also he's supposed to be the the father supposedly according to wiki stuff of james dutton of tim mcgraw so his father couldn't we don't think this could be
2: right then there is chance dutton this is interesting because there's no dates on his headstone when you get to see it really c- quickly though if you go back i believe it's at the end of episode one of yellowstone like season one episode one when barely where, yeah. When they bury Lee, Kevin Costner John has an, has a brother who has been unnamed to this point.
1: So we think that's chance
2: to predeceases their their father, Dabney Coleman, and obviously John outlives too. My guess is that he is really Jamie's father. It's a it's a John Snow Game of Thrones situation. Jamie is really uh, the love child of his dead mother and John's dead brother. And that's why he took him in and adopted him.
3: I mean, this is off topic for today's discussion, but I I think Jamie is a Dutton, just
2: yeah. just not a John Dutton. Yeah, he's a dead like dead, dead Chance Dutton brother because because it's great it's great drama because that's why he he loves him but also keeps him and uses him more as a tool than as a son. Let's let's get into the 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 protagonist besides uh, Elsa, James Dutton, James Dillard Dutton, played by Tim McGraw like, who is this guy? Who is this man based on what you saw in this episode?
1: Well, we've been told he's a dreamer. We've been told that he has all these big ideas of what he can build for his family. How do I actually think that plays out on the screen, especially in the pilot? I don't know if, if audiences are going to get that so much as he will do anything for his family. He obviously is in love with his wife, his children. <laughs> he's quick to his pistol.
2: Paul, what's your take? First impressions on seeing James? Stutton in action here. Kills a bunch of guys, shoots them in the back uh, for pickpocketing. He holds off a, a group of bandits, one-handed driving a wagon, another hand, one-hand shotgun in it like he's Arnold and Terminator. He, uh, but also has this kind of ambiguous dreamer plan to move his family north to a country he's never seen before.
3: When I see him hold off all those bandits, I want to know more. When I see him with that kind of Billy Barule rifle that he has to take out of the special casing... I want to know more about that. I looked up what was the most accurate rifle back then, and I got a few different answers. My personal feeling is that it it might be a Sharps rifle, which was a rifle that was distributed to both Uh, riflemen in both Union and Confederate forces. So it's possible that's a holdover from his days from the war, likely, in fact. And so I want to know more about all that. I probably won't know. The show probably won't spend much time on that, except for little drips and drabs here and there. But it's all very interesting to me. Additionally, the framework of coming into this show, expecting it to be the John Dutton ancestral story. So then when we see James, we think, well, it's got to be about him. But we get all the narration and the monologue from the daughter kind of sets it up like it's actually her story, which is a very interesting way to tell it. It's like learning about Batman through Robin's point of view. It's never been done. But wouldn't that be an interesting way to see that story? Right,
1: I do, but I think it actually mirrors Yellowstone itself in terms of like, it's just as much Beth's story as it is John's or Casey's or whatever. Like it's a family story, and I think that they're maintaining that. It's just that we expected it to be. Of course, why wouldn't it be about the main guy? Right. Mm-hmm. But I think they're doing that that's the trick of this one of like trying to fill it out right at the beginning of like, no, this is gonna be about the family. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna hear from all the family members well, in we've different seen, ways.
3: We've seen frontier families. We like like we brought up Little House on the Prairie, we brought up Deadwood, and those are more straight ahead. This is about Timothy Old. LaFont in Deadwood, and, and we learn the story through that perspective, and that's it. So we've seen that story. So this is a, I think it's a great way to learn about the, the actions of the patriarch of of the uh, Dutton dynasty.
2: It's also a really smart way to quickly set up and establish the family dynamic that Elsa is less her mother's daughter and very much more so her father's daughter. Margaret's a tough cookie, though. There's a great setup on the train of goals. And and Elsa says, <laughs> I want right. to be able to ride in the front of the train. And Margaret scoffs at her and says, that's the difference between a child's dream and a woman's dream. A woman's dream is to have a home that you never leave, that you never want to leave.
1: Can you all feel the hair up on the back of Caroline's neck? <laughs> A lady's dream is to have a home she never wants to leave. Oh my goodness!
2: But exactly,
3: exactly for is, the balance. I'll, I'll pull that. I'll pull that up next time I see you on the United website. <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm just happy for the balance of it being like, nah, dog, that's not that's not all it's about.
2: You know, and you can't lose sight of that clip we played earlier about her talking about how she's on the edge of civilization and everything after it is real life. It's a real adventure. And then you have this quote from her, this little quick quote.
0: If possible can describe a feeling. That's how I felt. The whole world felt possible. And I was ready for it.
3: There's a lot of imagery of Elsa greeting the day or just looking up at the sky, soaking in what right. it is around her. She even, like, spreads her little hands out to be, like, waiting for bluebirds to come and land on her fingertips, I think. And this happens several times.
2: Isn't that Dolores, though? T- you know, giving her, ki- her dad a kiss as she steps off of the porch in yeah. Westworld in the earliest seasons before she realizes kind of, like, her real destiny. She's Robot Jesus, yeah. But I want to contrast or compare that comment about everything is possible to her father. This is a grown man who is moving six family members, including himself. A wagon full of horses and, 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 and gear is about to set off into the unknown. And this is his plan. And I'm using that in air quotes, if you can tell from my inflection.
4: My family's meeting me here tonight. We're heading up north. North,
2: north where? I oh, don't know. You don't strike me as a man
0: who travels without a plan. I got a plan. <laughs> you will make a man work for an answer, won't you?
4: I ain't got the answer myself. You know, all these folks hauling ass west and north and they've never even seen the country and they don't even know if it's worth the journey. I mean, I'm going to keep heading north till I find land that's worth the journey.
2: That's not a plan at all, my bro! You're you're just going north. You're gonna be you're gonna be in Vancouver before you find anything. And that's only if you stumble upon, you know, WB's shooting lot. I don't know what you're talking about. You got no plan.
1: You know, Why do you wait wait? wait. I'ma pump the brakes. Why do you feel that way? Within the context of the day. It is a plan, isn't it? I mean, there's all this undiscovered land and all this territory that people couldn't call their own. I understand, but you can't say, like, what coordinates you're going to because you don't know if when you get there, there's going to be a lake or a mountain there. Like, we're still discovering what's going to be there.
2: I give him all the credit in the world for being committed to not settling and not saying, I'm taking the Oregon Trail until I get to portland and then that's it and that's where i live now is portland i i I like that commitment but it's also not a plan i i i'm not taking anything away from i like the dreamer spirit but i think it's kind of funny that he's being very confident in oh i got a plan you know your plan is just keep going until you don't
1: shit dude that's my only plan in life (laughs) <laughs> just keep going until I don't. Go, go. Like, And I do think that that's a plan. And it's, it's also different, itself, though. It's know? also
2: different, though, when you're just keep going and it's just you or just you and, you know, Margaret. It's a whole other thing. You've got you. You've got Margaret. You've got Elsa. You've got a five-year-old. You've got this bitch sister and his hellspawn daughter. Claire and Mary Abel, we haven't even gotten into these two yet. You're going to tow all these people until you don't? In the bathtub, Margaret even kind of calls them on this. You've said no to Colorado. You've said no to Wyoming. You've said no to Oregon. You know, like, he's said no to a bunch of places that he hasn't seen himself. He's he's kind of said no to places. I mean, Denver is very nice. There are a lot of nice places in Colorado. Aspen, Vale. these are very nice places. You're just saying no to them. You're going to get there a lot quicker than Montana. He's so calm confident, and at the same time like his daughter, the world is just open. It's just possibilities. They don't really know the answer. He doesn't know he's gonna wind up at what's gonna at the gates of what's going to be known as Yellowstone. It
1: feels like like mocking back at like people who couldn't possibly know. Like it feels it feels bad to look at people who honestly didn't know the land was not settled yet and say like y'all are you sound like a fool to be excited about that. It's like, but that's what the world was then. You I don't know,
2: have a problem with that. That, but All I want him to do. I want him to say
1: he's not going to tell two other men in a Wild West town. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, Well, you can't. know, you have
2: to frame it like that. You'd be like, my plan is I don't have a plan as much as I have an, uh, an idea of what I'm looking for or something like that. That's
1: fair. And he could have absolutely worded that a little bit differently. But, I mean, I think that's where, you know, we have Shay come in and say, be like, woof, you're, like you're like a long day here you, trying to make me try, try to figure me. you out. <laughs>
2: oh, my Lord. There are going to be a lot of Sam Elliott impersonations, guys. Just get <laughs> buckle, it, up. Just buckle up now. are going to be doing a lot of Sam Elliott over the course of this series. It did make me wonder, going back to your question
3: about James, then the question comes to mind. What do they got to get out of Tennessee so bad for? Yeah. Is it just the promise of so much
2: opportunity. It's because the pines block the sun, I think. I mean, that seems to be the real you know issue well no i mean i think i think he knows that the world is open i think he knows that he can uh, he can eventually own what will become the state of montana he wants a Dutton empire i think it's also you know probably part of the reason he's moving claire and mary abel these women who will be duttons and and marry and 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 have dutton blood and be able to settle the land think back to what john said last week in yellowstone last week at the time we're recording this my great-grand father built this lodge so that he could have all of his progeny under the big roof. That's why he built it so big. When he gives Rip the house and he's like, you know, for a hundred years it stood that there was always a Dutton being able to live in all along the road here, side by side, and I failed because I didn't have enough sons, and then I realized I did have a son with you. This idea, these Duttons need to occupy, and I think he needs room to do that, and Tennessee just doesn't have that room. I think that's what this land promises the openness of it the possibilities it's what his daughter is talking about that that was my original point was him and his daughter are exactly the same they're these dreamers they're these dreamers with just the idea of maybe what they want without any real idea of what that's going to look like because they don't know how can they know
1: well what's your feel of of james dutton here mike because i'm i'm kind of lost about what you think about him to be honest
2: I think he's very capable. I mean, I think that is an impressive show and a very intentional show to start off. Our first time we see him is him, you know, one arm and shotgun in one arm and driving the wagon, holding off all those guys, then takes out a third gun. Right. He's got a sidearm. He's got his everyday shotgun. But then he's got this, uh, you know, whether it's sharps rifle, it's some kind of Civil War era sniper rifle. Right. Because he's got the very long scope on it which he keeps in a special case. So he's got a third gun that he takes very good care of and knows how to use it. He doesn't blink. He doesn't hesitate. He makes decisions quickly, right? He, he gets pickpocketed. He shoots that pickpocket in the leg without a moment's hesitation, nor does he blink when that kid gets strung up. I mean, they kill that kid for pickpocketing stuff happens. He doesn't blink, (laughs) but at the same time, also he vomits everywhere the second all of that action is done in that opening scene, right? Which says to me some kind of anxiety or some kind of PTSD, something about the firefight has triggered something in him that he is not actually a terminator he is actually a man of flesh and blood who has dreams and a heart and sympathy and and love in him because otherwise he wouldn't care he wouldn't vomit everywhere after he killed all those men you know so i think he, i think that makes him complex you know maybe when he closes his eyes or looks up at the clouds he has an idea of what Dutton Ranch would look like but he has no idea where that actually may be in the world
1: very fair. So we talked a little bit about the relationship between Elsa and James. What did you guys feel about Isabel May and and the role that she's playing here as Elsa? Do you guys like her as the, the actress playing this role? And do you feel like she's a good fit?
3: The fact that she's evoking Dolores from Westworld being, you know, and that, and even that actress, um, Evan Rachel Wood, who's a very capable actress, I think it's good. I don't think it's mimicking that. She may have never even watched Westworld, for all I know. But to me as a viewer, that's a good... That's a good comparison. That's a positive comparison for her performance in this. I I'm, Now that I've seen that she has an arrow coming out of her belly and that she's missing from some of the other flashbacks, I'm all of a sudden like, holy shit, where's the story going? If she's our narrator, it, it draws me in. It keeps me watching for
2: sure. I, I think maybe only Sam Elliott has a faster... Come feel something for this character because he literally starts off the show by having to burn his family who has died from smallpox. You know, I mean, that, that's a really quick way to engender sympathy for someone. But right away, this show is is putting the time in to make you care about Elsa Dutton and and listen to her words and and see the world literally through her eyes because it's not just her own story she's telling. In particular, so far anyway, she's also telling, we're learning about James's story largely through her eyes. Not his actions so much, right? We see his actions, but his inner thoughts, right? The the end clip that talks about the fact that, well, I mean, I could play it. This end clip about the fact that he wasn't failing by coming out here. He had a dream, and his, his dream was coming true. This clip right here. You
0: we weren't poor. You we weren't desperate. The road west is filled with failures. Failure isn't what drove him. It was a dream. And the dream is coming true.
2: Dreaming and possibility, but also being scrappy and and knowing how to take care of yourself. Again, the parallels that they show has Done in this first hour and six minutes. That that's the runtime on the episode. Is enormous to comp is to show you that Elsa is James's daughter because remember, she has that, that attempted rape scene, which was very difficult to watch. It was very gross. But she she fights. She smacks that guy about his head. I she's screaming. I don't know why it takes so long for people to come rushing into her room. She almost makes it into the hallway, but she she gives that guy the business before he finally overpowers her. I I like that about her. She fights, she fights like her father fights, but she also is consumed by dreams and the possibility of life and adventure and what's out there. That's a tough, fine line to walk in a character, and I think the show is doing it with two characters, and I think it's doing it really well out of the gate. So I'm into it. I love everything she's doing. And I like the originality of telling this gritty Western expansion show the blood, the grit, the gore that we don't always hear about we we rarely get to see on TV or learn in our history books, and they're doing it from this coming of age uh, teenage girl story. I think it's interesting. The Pod Clubhouse word of the week is grit. <laughs> right. <Grits. laughs>
1: um, okay, so I I think she has a really tall order here to play some softness and some innocence and some naivete in a world of men and a, in a world of unforgiving moments where you have to do what has to be done. I winced a little when you said that you wondered why people didn't come running when she was screaming. And it makes me sad because we actually are taught as women that you don't ever yell rape, you yell fire because no one will come if you yell rape. No one is coming to a whorehouse doorway where there's a woman's screaming in terror no one it the only reason why they come is because the little boy gets out of the room and gets the parents that's it and and then there's a gunshot and that's when they come out yeah it i mean it really it was a real gut punch and i mean they are not i mean when when they when they're is that sound when he goes my turn the rapist and he punches her in the face holy smokes i mean they're not holding back on showing the the moments that really make your make you jump i guess this is going to be such a fascinating character i think that isabel may has has a lot to overcome in order to win over i think the the rough and tumble yellowstone watchers um and i think that she's going to do a great job so i'm looking forward to to seeing her create this other pioneer spirit that is that has the the touch of the woman in it as well
2: there's a couple of, you know, axes working here that you have the, the, the fighting spirit versus the dreamer spirit that they're going to have to win over the rough and tumble. But then you have this, the coming age aspect of it too, where. You know, the episode ends with her kind of in that, you know, her virginal white undergarment wading into the river. It's very, it's very innocent. It's very baptismal. This is like a little kid, you know, like a young woman just kind of going into the river. No worries about the real world. Even though she had just been attempted rape. But before that, you know, scene, before she goes to bed before that scene, she's watching the guy and the woman down on the street kind of like have, you know, sex or at least, you know, digital manipulation. And she's horny. Like she's talking about love. Like she's she's got stuff going on. I think that's gonna make
1: a lot of people squeamish for sure. I think a lot of grown adult men and women are gonna feel squeamish watching a young teenager. That's one of the things that can really make people change the channel if they can't get through those parts. And so I guess if you're listening to us and you're saying like, oh, you guys, I don't know if I can. Because we've seen up to episode three, definitely, definitely hang in there. You're not going to get bogged in that part of this in a way that I think makes you feel uncomfortable. That scene is in isolation for me as being the most uncomfortable scene of that type of thing. I don't want to even kind of delve into that that much, but I didn't think they did. I think that they like stopped it and it wasn't like, oh, and then two scenes later, she's like... I'm going to start touching in my dress like, you know, uh, I don't want to see any of that. No, so no. But I mean, she does have the voiceover. She,
2: it. you know, she has the voiceover that says, you know, we always wondered what sex was and I didn't know. And now yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. kind of thing. But that's you all
1: encapsulated in that one Very section. Much so. It's not sprinkled throughout all the whole thing.
2: No, no, no. But coming of age story is falling in love. And I mean, there it just just to bookmark it so you guys can remember it. The, you know, having seen ahead without being spoilery, there's a couple things to note here. There's there's a scene where James and and Margaret are talking, and he makes the comment that, you know, Elsa is a woman now, and Margaret says, oh, you're ready for her to start courting, and James says, no, not a chance. Alright. Bookmark that. Because again, this is a coming of age story. This is a woman who is coming of age. She is, she is entering the time when women would be finding husbands and beginning to have families at this time in America. That's when it's happening. That's going to be a part of the story. Romance is going to be part of the story. It's not going to be all cowboys and Native Americans. Uh, you know, that's going to be a, a large part of it. And, and that journey, that difficult journey, north and northwest, but it's not the whole story.
1: You know, fascinating. Paul and I are watching a show right now called The Landscapers. It's interesting because the female in that, the limited series, is super into the romance of westerns. The romance of the of the cowboy protector. Um, and there's it, it, a whole plot line within the, the within the story. And there is something to westerns that go with romance hand in hand. Part of the mystique and the allure of the cow- Cowboy is that he's going to save the day he's going to protect you so i can deal with the romance of it all as soon as you said horniness that's where you like you're like veering my wagon right <laughs> off the trail because that's not romantic right. them in the them in the tub together romantic all day long no i'm just saying that scene was kind of raggedy on the edges for me because i wish he just stuck to the like the the romance and the Western, that can fly. And many people who like cowboys can deal with the romance. I don't think you can go into like the Bella. Is she going to go with the vampire or the werewolf? Like you can't go there, you I know?
3: Think, I think I, I can give credit to Sheridan that he's, he's not going to have us with a narrator spending a lot of time pining about boys it, just to keep it. Real, she's not going to be some sexless person, right? But I don't know that she's going to be passing notes from horse to horse, you know, (laughs) right? um, Either, and and, because you know. I'm not sticking around for that. I don't, That's what I don't I'm read saying, those books. This is very I don't watch those tricky. shows. This is very
1: tricky, right? <laughs> yeah. So I agree. And I know a lot of older men who watch Yellowstone and really, really enjoy it. I'm talking 67-year-old men. They are not sticking around for watching a person who looks like their grandchild saying, I like sex. Like, they're not going to stick around. They're going to be like, ah. So right. I just, I'm, I'm glad. And I'm again, I am reassuring our listeners that we're going to get right past that. And we're going to get into more adult. Adult romantic romantic kind of talk about courting and that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think this scene is here. Honestly, I think this scene is here entirely in this episode just to tell you this is a young woman who is now thinking about sex and marriage and courting. Don't make a mistake. This is not a little kid. This is a a, a woman or a girl who is now a woman and is going to be looking into woman things, you know, romance, courting, marriage, and that kind of stuff. So, Hello, I'm here to war- learn of woman things. Ah, dear mother Margaret, teach me all the woman <laughs> things. <laughs> Auntie Claire, you seem like you've been successful in love. <laughs> oh, oh my God!
1: My most favorite line of the whole thing, talking about Auntie Claire, is when they were when they were giving condolences about her husband and saying he was a very patient man. I like laid out on the floor. That was like one of my most favorite favorite how, James Dutton lines. How has
3: Tim McGraw not been acting this whole time? I
1: know, that was amazing when he said, "Oh, so 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 so." That was good. such a
3: perfect line delivery.
2: Your husband was the- a. <laughs> Patient man. (laughs) (laughs) So good. You know, old Henry's best day of his life was the day he (laughs) left this earth.
1: Claire was a peace, man.
2: And, and Mary Abel's worse because she's young. I mean, Mary Abel is not a widow and she's just a bear. Oh my
1: God. <laughs> Well, I'm interested to see if we find out more about Claire and find out why she's such a, a hard person to get along with and mm-hmm. and has such a difficult time. I, I hope that they shed a little light on on why. Like what's going on with her? What's been going on in her life? I, I'm I'm hopeful we'll get that. Okay, we would be remiss if we did not mention Margaret. Margaret Dutton, who is James's counterpart at Faith Hill, of course. She, at this point of the series, is is very small in her role and, and isn't really anyone that, that we have a whole lot of read on, I think. But I want to make sure that we mention her. She, she's, she's obviously a very strong woman. She's able to have frank conversations with, with James. She has clear commentary on his facial hair.
2: I, I don't know how you guys felt about this, but the big question mark for me for Margaret in this episode is that... She has that line about uh, a woman's goal is to have a settled home that you don't want to leave. She doesn't seem to have the adventurous spirit that Elsa has, that James has. But at the same time, she's here, right? She got on a train. She's moving her family from Tennessee down to Texas to start a 2,000-mile a 2, a 2, journey north. So there has to be some adventurous spirit to her. I think the big question for me is... Is she really not into this journey or is she just trying to be the level headed one while her husband and daughter are often dreamers clouds?
1: I think it's the latter. I think you have to have the person who is the balance. Right. So the more head in the clouds that you have the husband, the more feet on the ground the wife's going to be. I think you just have to have that balance.
2: I, I mean, the, but the question then becomes, does she begin to resent that, though? If she can never be the one who gets to be the adventurous one, she, she always has to be the straight man. She's, you know, in modern times, she's the one who always has to make sure the bills are getting paid on time, not that we're just out painting and having a good time or whatever. You know, does she begin to resent that? You know, she's on this journey, too. She has to go along with all of it. But if she's the one who has to make sure the fires are always tended to and that there's always food and, and all of those kind of other logistics while they're heading north... You know, it's going to be interesting to see how her and James and their marriage, you know, they're raising a five-year-old. They have a daughter who is, you know, again, this coming-of-age story. They have their own relationship that they have to keep cultivating while traveling with a giant immigrant party of Germans, Sam Elliott, Lamonica Garrett, and 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 all of the other obstacles are gonna be in their way. That's a lot of stuff to to keep on top of. So I'm curious to see how their marriage works uh, as the journey unfolds.
1: So one of the things that, you know, when we're talking about can sex and romance and be, be in a Western, I think the intimacy that they had in the bath is something that people Will absolutely want to see more of, I think that those moments where you know Margaret's actually shaving james's beard and and all that kind of stuff, there's something about it that is he's willing to give up so much control to her mm-hmm. that I think that 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 we get a better sense of the power balance between the two of them
2: I, I agree I mean for me i I'm trying to relate this to a functional couple in Yellowstone that has this, and I guess it would be a Casey Monica kind of thing where. Casey can be bold, but also have like intimacy with Monica, or presumably how John was when his wife was alive. You know, before all the real Evelyn, yeah, yeah, before the real jadedness set in, and then the hard heartedness that that he's kind of evolved into. The way he talks about Evelyn makes you feel like they had this kind of intimacy, like they. You know, he's able to share his fears and his feelings and really be himself and let down the machismo guard that he has to have when he's talking to the, you know, Shay or Thomas or, you know, even dealing as a father, dealing with his daughter, right? How many times does he have to tell her in this episode, don't wander? You know, all you do is wander. For yeah. the love of God, please don't wander. You know, he has to be a dad here in this bathtub scene. He gets to be just a husband and a partner, and it, it was. And he's it, it, so
1: quick to, to be like they have hot water in the lobby. Like mm-hmm. he wasn't. She didn't have to like be like please
2: nag him like, or anything. Right? No,
1: oh my gosh, their relationship is so clear that like he would do whatever she needs and is going to take care of her.
2: Love it. I'm really interested to see how the marriage survives and the fact that it's Faith Hill and Tim McGraw, a real life married couple portraying it, I think is a really interesting added layer, which probably shouldn't be part of my watching calculus, but it absolutely is.
1: I think it's fair. I mean, here's a little behind the scene little nugget. Faith Hill was very uncomfortable shooting that scene because they're married and because she feels like they keep their intimate private life just that private taylor sheridan actually cleared the set and had like an extremely small crew to handle that and and did it with extreme kid gloves because the way that they were like touching each other and talking to each other was so authentically intimate that you know she she had a hard time letting the world in on that i think it came across i think you totally felt it between them
2: were you guys surprised at the lack of, given how many, uh, women of the night we see in this episode, the lack of nudity and sex? Yellowstone, a show that I think in the first episode, second episode, definitely. I mean, the third episode, you have Beth naked. I was a little taken back. Not, not that that's why I watched the show, but I was a little taken back at they've got cursing. There's plenty of fucks dropped in this episode. Tons of violence. I was a little taken aback at the lack of nudity and sex. In this one.
1: I I think it's refreshing, and I'm actually glad they didn't. I think with this younger female voice if you're gonna have a coming of age story i think that that begs the question of who are you trying to pull in as an audience Mm -hmm. and if you're trying to get younger women to want to watch this having a bunch of like you know prostitute tit moments i don't think i think that that goes that's the antithesis of what you're looking for
2: antithesis
1: oh there you go
2: (laughs) i for for those keeping track out there the official boob count was only one (laughs) one boob and it was during a smallpox check not very sexy one boob And it was Claire doing it. Can
1: I just tell you, I was a little irritated that they didn't tit for tat that mess and go ahead and show some (laughs) some side butt or something on one of the men. Although, I don't want to see smallpox butts.
2: <laughs> Something tells me before long, you're going to see Sam Elliott's ass in this show. Something just oh, tells me. boy, I, I feel it. I, I feel have it.
1: nothing but respect for Sam, so I, I'm not Very going to even think more. about that.
2: I hope you're enjoying. <laughs> you're going to see my book. Or it's going to be good. Oh, mm, Speaking so of Sam
1: Elliott, let's move over to Shay and Thomas because this is one of the most fascinating relationships that we have on the show.
2: And my prediction is going to be one of the biggest fan-favorite relationships. I think, oh, this is, I think this is going to be the one that people really see on and spend all their time on Facebook and it talking about.
1: Hey, Paul, tell us about the Pinkerton Detective Agency and, like, what is this all about? Because I think a lot of people are going to go, Pinkertons? What?
2: Pinkerton
3: Detective Agency was, at one point... It was the largest law enforcement agency in in the country. When the Department of Justice was first formed, they didn't have the money and the backing federally to field their own officers. So they wound up using Pinkertons in a lot of cases. They were also filling in as Secret Service at, at certain s- stages of the game. They protected um, Abraham Lincoln during his various... Uh, elections, and I don't know that they had anything to do with the night that he was killed. I, I don't think they were there. I
1: think they were at the bar. I think that's part of the scandal of it all.
3: But there was a long period, about a 20-year span there, where they were a very big deal. You notice that both Shea and Thomas wear badges. As I unartfully tried to explain in the uh, episode eight Yellowstone podcast, this was a period in America where law enforcement wasn't quite as strict as it was. It is Right now in terms of like who can wear a badge and what they mean and where that jurisdiction lies and who gets to say who gets to wear a badge. It was a little more willy nilly. The Pickertons enjoyed kind of a lot of authority during this period. They're mostly associated with strike breaking, infiltrating unions. And blowing up strikes before they happen or or before they get bad for big companies. There was actually a law passed in, what was it, 1892 or something like that, where it was called like the anti-Pinkerton law that forbid or forbade federal government from using Pinkerton agents or privately run law enforcement agents as contractors like they had been
2: up until that period.
1: Fascinating. Do you feel like this worked, Mike, to make them Pinkertons?
2: I think it works with the Pinkerton because it has to for a couple of reasons. One, if it's just Captain Shay, Brennan and Thomas without the Pinkerton, without any other people, how do they have the logistical support to run wagon trails you know, from Texas up to Portland? Right. That doesn't make sense that these two guys are doing it all on their own. There has to be some kind of infrastructure there that we otherwise wouldn't see. The Pinkerton's answer that, right? They are, they are contracted agents from the Pinkerton agency that are running these wagon trails and providing security. You know, they're essentially, they're essentially doing a, a guided trail.
1: Like Sherpas,
2: they're Sherpa, right? They are paid Sherpas, right? Clearly, the German expedition contracted after the Pinkertons. The Pinkertons said, "Oh, those are you know that's Shea and Thomas's you know area of the country. This is their job, kind of thing." And they took the contract. So, one, you need you need some kind of organization company to explain the logistical support of it. But the Pinkertons are a, a, a real company on record that was known for hiring uh, people of color and women. Years before anyone was going to be doing so. So that's how you wind up with Thomas, this Buffalo soldier who's still wearing his uniform so many years after the war is over. But now because he has a Pinkerton badge on it, it gives him... It gives him a, a legitimate reason for being teamed with Sam Elliott with with, with Shea Brennan, someone who p- they presumably fought in the war together, right? Because he calls him Captain, and it's it's how it legitimately explains these two being a longstanding partnership, right? Because I think if nothing else, you get these two have known each other a long time and have worked together a long time. the The way in which Thomas deals with coming across him with a gun to his throat after he's had to burn his house down with his with his wife Helen and his daughter passing away from smallpox any other person who didn't really know him would be like what are you doing you know no thomas's reaction is well if you're going to do it do it now because i'd rather dig a hole while the sun is high like that is that's telling you a lot about the deepness and closeness and connection that these two have i think they again with very little narrative i think they told you a whole lot about these two and i liked it i liked it a lot
1: Shay is such a complex character. We had an opportunity to talk to Sam Elliott, and I was really pleased that he agreed that the complexity was so deep and so important to the relationship between Shay and Thomas because it would be so easy to make Shay just this ruffian right he could just be a guy who mm-hmm. who drinks and gambles and is a womanizer and is like I mean a real Han Solo kind of guy right you could easily have him be like that
2: real nerf herder
1: But (laughs) but instead, he's so straight laced and he's he's so much more introverted and and like clearly trapped in his own thoughts in a way that makes you want to know what those thoughts are.
2: Yeah, with very little, they tell you he doesn't drink. He doesn't gamble. He doesn't whore. He also doesn't sleep and doesn't like to be alone with his thoughts. That is a ton of character development in one episode. I feel like we know Shay, who Shay Brennan is a lot in just this one episode unfortunately and i and i'm hoping we get it i want to know as much about thomas all i know right now is that him and shay are a team and a well-established team who have an ease together uh, and ease working together so as much as i liked shay's character development i feel like the show owes it to us now to develop thomas as much too. get let us in on what his story is because there's a lot there there's clearly a lot there
3: It's kind of interesting how, like, uh, Sam Elliott comes as an actor with a cachet of a lot of Westerns. So when we get Sam Elliott in a cowboy hat on a horse, we have a preconceived notion of what to expect out of this character. LaMonica Garrett, on the other hand, if you go and look up his IMDb, because LaMonica Garrett may not be a household name for you, you will see that he mostly has played people like police officers, army, navy, things like that. I I recognized him from the The Last Ship.
2: Which he was great in, and I was a big fan of that show, and I loved it.
3: Yeah, and and also like designated survivor. Where I think he plays like a secret service guy or something. So he's played roles where the his physicality, just as a person, he's he's uh, he's a very cut ripped individual, mm-hmm. um, and those things have always played imp- an important part of his character. Just just physicality. And none of that shit matters here. It's all acting ability. He does a fantastic job building a guy who really, he acts physical when he needs to, but he's, he's not pushing people around just, just out, of, out of habit. He is the yin to Shay's stormy yang. He balances him out in a, in a very unexpected and pleasant way.
2: I'm, I'm coming into this having last seen La Monica Garrett as Monitor in the Infinite, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, storyline from the Hourverse crossover series from a couple of years ago. This is as far a different role as you can be from that. <laughs> I mean, I knew him from last ship, but the last thing I really saw him in was there. And Monitor is a big, physical, imposing guy who doesn't say a whole lot, you know, and, and doesn't really need to have a whole pathos to him. Thomas yeah. clearly does. And his relationship with Shay is going to be something that I think it's definitely you're going to want to show the dig into a lot, a lot, a lot.
1: There is something about La Monica who brings this level of strength and softness. Shay is so prickly and so difficult and so grouchy at times Sorry that me, if I'm we fine, didn't have
2: Thomas,
1: prickly. I feel like we would be pretty angry at Shay a lot of the times. But it is so quickly diffused by Thomas. He so quickly brings in some humor or... Just says the thing that Shay needs to hear. You know, whatever that is. It doesn't necessarily have to be funny. It just has to be, like, so freaking dead on that it's just, like, burn, move on.
2: (laughs) Shay's, like, dark. Yeah. And and Thomas (laughs) is, like, light. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
2: right. like, but, might, it, but sometimes you know but thomas also it. but thomas also knows when to kind of not humor shay and and is kind of shun that. Mm-hmm. i want to play this clip more because i want to again bookmark a note for listeners for future reference these guys only gave the german immigrants three rules don't get bit by a rattlesnake you will die don't walk in poison ivy or poison oak you will wish you were dead and don't drink the water. I want to play rule rule number three here right now.
4: Do not drink water from the ground.
0: When we camp, we will choose a latrine away from the water source. Um, what is a latrine?
3: Powder room.
0: Water closet. Thomas, help me. Toilet. What in the hell is a toilette? It's French word. Really. shitter. When did you learn French? Don't know French, I just the French word for shitter. How do you know the
3: French word for shitter? It's the fucker gal from France.
0: Fine, that's all you had to say.
2: I don't let get angry about it. I mean, he said, "Are you the fuck a girl from France?" You know, that's all. That's all you had to say about it.
1: Okay, I have to back up for just a small second. Can I just tell you, okay, so Paul and I are both born and raised in Texas. When Elsa goes into that water and starts swimming, both Paul and I bristled so hard. You don't just not drink water from that source. You don't swim in that water. <laughs> you because there is so many creatures in there. A little snaky. There are snakes in every one of those lakes and rivers. There are there's gators. You there are all kinds of just. Biting animals. That I'm telling you, the the bacteria level is so high, you would not be in there swimming around like that. I was like, "Girl, what are you doing?" All right. Well, mm.
2: I, I'm a New Yorker from 2021, and I'm telling you, 138 years ago, the Trinity was a much more peaceful, loving place where humanity lived in in harmony with uh, no, man with uh, with the animal <laughs> creatures, and no, they did nothing. They did nothing to harm folks, and you were able to, if you were a young woman, no, swimming. See, Coming in the from river New
1: York where you've got springs and waterfalls and all this stuff that is like you have some actual like clear water. We are coming from an area, I'm telling you, where this is murky, dirty water with a lot of creatures in it. OK, I'm just telling you. I'm Here's mansplaining Texas to you
2: 138 years ago. Huh? <laughs> I've, no. I've been in my Doctor Who uh, police oh. box and I've been there.
1: We don't we our water doesn't freeze. Nothing dies. So that stuff is (laughs) in there.
2: It is in there. There's a pull quote for the episode Nothing dies. (laughs)
1: Nothing dies.
2: All right, guys. Don't drink the water, though. I mean, all you have to do, remember, don't drink the water. Boil your water. Don't drink the water. We're, we're gonna set always. up. A, we're gonna set up a shitter downriver. Don't drink the water. One <laughs> exactly. easy rule. You think these guys are gonna remember it? We'll no, see.
1: Dun, I don't dun, think dun. they will because they're killing me with this stuff.
3: There are moments when when Sheridan almost channels like Quentin Tarantino with his dialogue, and it's really enjoyable when he does. You you wouldn't want them to overdo it. You wouldn't want a whole TV show necessarily where they're trying to get to Oregon with, I used to fuck a French girl kind of thing. But you, I think you could stand a little bit of that in every episode. That's the equivalent of kind of the real talk that the bunkhouse... Uh, cowboys right. give us mm-hmm. in the other episode. Well, you need that because there's so much other serious. Well, shit. And
1: sometimes the dialogue can be extremely flowery, even out of uh-huh. uh, you know the men and, and and ruffians that you wouldn't expect it. So sometimes when you just get that, like it's like a sword that cuts through the the, the air. You're like, yeah, I wanted that. I'm just fucking a f- girl from France. Like you need, you that. need that to kind of cleanse the palate. And it's you it's a quarter it.
2: pounder with cheese, you know, in the metric system, right? It's 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 Tarantino, like you were saying. Right. The whole palate exchange, La cheese. I want to talk about Shay a little bit more because we have the scene where the guy is, uh, he's seen he's got early smallpox, right? They eject him, they eject the wife. He says, he makes a point. The guy's like, what did I do? What did I do? And the guy, and, and, and Sam Elliott makes it very clear you didn't do anything. But you have smallpox you're gonna die and in three days you're going to infect everyone you come into contact with you can't be here go get go go out of town die there you know and save humanity kind of thing. That is, again, walking a fine line of he is sympathetic, but also firm. These guys understand the mission and they're not going to they're not going to be soft hearted about it when they need to pull punches. I was curious about this ongoing dialogue only because it's going to come up a bunch over the next few episodes. How hard do we push? Do we move out and start working the wagon trail out of here before the German immigrants are ready? Or do we keep waiting until some magic time when they're going to be ready? You know, Thomas tells Shea, we got to move because the winter's going to kill us all, right? Because they're literally charged with all of these people moving them 2000 miles north. You know, how how disciplinarian do you think they're going to end up being? Or, you know, and is that going to be an issue for them?
3: I hear both sides of that argument and they both make make a certain amount of sense. But I, I think, uh, you know, on balance, what are they going to lose? Is it going to be like... a a difference of like five or or ten percent i think the winter is probably the bigger killer than just the random not ready to go mishaps but then again you know i'm not a pinkerton trail boss (laughs) no no.
1: wait mike hold (laughs) on wait a minute Applied to be on this podcast, you and I both specifically asked in the interview, mind you, even in the second interview, if you had been a Pinkerton.
2: I had my fingers crossed. You
1: lie.
2: It's very upsetting. <laughs> it, it makes me do this.
1: I thought you got that in the background check, My God, we're going to I do use be the better I use the Pickerton
2: service. <laughs> <laughs> a company that actually still exists. It's just been absorbed 18,000 times. It actually still exists, but those Pinkertons. Oh, not, the 2021 Pickertons aren't oh, worth their salt. I wouldn't oh trust them gosh. moving me Texas to, to Montana right now. I mean, there's a couple of historical little things I wanted to mention, but we could get to Mike, the interview now. don't
1: say that second one because it's going to make me laugh too hard as a Texan.
2: Rowdy Joes.
1: No, the Trinity is a real river.
2: <laughs> uh, I was impressed about that, though. I didn't know that. I was, I was doing learning. I was doing Texas learning. Oh, okay. Mm, Fort Worth, real place too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it is. It is. Okay. Well, oh, the no, no, we have is to. No no, 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 The Brazos no, I, I okay, it, But yeah. just, just for people who are unsure on those historicalness, the Trinity and the Brazos rivers are both real rivers that we still have today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> still rivering up a.
0: <laughs>
2: well, I, I think it was more interesting because it was. They refer to it kind of. A, I mean, they give. He, Sam Elliott or Shea gives like the very. What is it? The boulder that's weeping over the dead tree yeah, or whatever yeah. it is kind of thing. That seemed very. Non-specific, even as specific as it seemed, it also seemed. I mean, if I'm was sitting there so leading long-winded. my horses,
1: it was so long-winded. It's like with like a curl coming out of her hair and like a bun, and like she has a big butt, and like also, you're like, what?
2: Margaret's gonna be like, you know, uh, James is gonna be telling that to Margaret. Look for a boulder that looks like it's we. Weeb- She's gonna be what the fuck are you talking about you
1: imagine how many directions? miles do we have
2: to go right exactly <laughs> you know you're going to come the to a fork
1: weeping boulder y'all
2: <laughs> you're going to come to a fork in the road it's going oh to look very mm, unsure of itself about whether you should go left or right <laughs>
1: it looks pensive it's gonna look pensive right
2: some forks look determined and they know where you should go but this fork is gonna look very pensive not the smug fork
1: (laughs) please people commonly mistake that one two two little easter eggs
2: that you would have only gotten if you had uh, freeze frame to show or or been really paying attention to stuff in the background there is a sign for linson's magic elixir so i went looking up to see if that was like a real thing art linson and john linson a father-son team they're both producers on the show and on Yellowstone and were sons of anarchy right that is where they met Sheridan kind of I guess originally so I thought that was like a nice little Easter egg that they got their own magic elixir named after them. Uh, my favorite one though is there is a sign that they pass by for Rowdy Joe's dancing Hall. Rowdy Joe was a real man who opened up his original saloon in Kansas, but uh, he got a little much in Kansas, uh, the the fuzz and and other trouble, and so they moved to texas he went through a couple of different women i believe he had a woman named rowdy kathy who he originally came to texas with but uh eventually he had a string of saloons and other rowdy dancing halls but uh rowdy rowdy joe's in fort worth was a real place back in the 1870s
1: we invite the rowdy if you're getting to be what did you say it got to be a little much you're welcome here
2: I mean, that's it. I mean, that's it. I mean, uh, the only other thing that I thought was interesting was in that cold open. I don't know if you guys noticed the horses had little red horseshoe tattoos on their hind, hindquarters. Okay. Tattoos. Or markings. They had like, they had like like, war paint, war paint like markings on like their hindquarters. So apparently there is this whole history of war paint on horses and depend, and there are several established designs depending on what, which, what you see. It represents what that brave had done or, you know, uh, that warrior had done. Side note for
1: those of you who have been watching Yellowstone: Remember when they were going to do the raid with the militia with Casey? When they were going to get Tate back, and they marked up the horses and they had different symbols Moe on the horses on mm-hmm. horse. to represent different parts. Yeah.
2: But but right. not rip, those, doesn't, rip, work rip, rip, rip right. doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> exactly. The uh, the the horseshoe mark represents successful horse stealing raids. So, however many marks was on, marks would be on that horse represented how many that warrior. Uh, how many horses he had successfully stolen i thought that was like an, a nice little interesting thing but only because it was so prominently stood out to me every time i watched the cold open so i went looking to see what that represented horse thievery and the
3: offenses there too were actually written into the original texas constitution as a as a, both a country and a state if i recall as pro or
2: con definitely con oh okay um, bad,
1: yeah. bad punishment for horse right. thieves.
2: yeah Well, I think that takes us to the end of our discussion of the series premiere of 1883. So stick around now because we have our roundtable interview with Tim McGraw.
4: We'll start with Michael at Pop Culture Review.
2: Hey, Tim, how are you doing? Thanks for uh, coming out today and talking to everyone.
4: Hey, Michael, how are you?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Uh, So everyone knows shooting a TV schedule, a TV show can be grueling in the best of environments on a comfy sound stage. How was the adjustment to shooting a TV show schedule for you, and then doing it outdoors with the physical component?
4: Well, I, Faith and I, have discussed this several times. That you know, we've worked pretty hard in our careers. We've been playing music for over 30 years, and I've done films, and she's done films. This is the hardest we've ever worked. In our entire career, I mean, it's, I believe it. It's been a, a brutal schedule, but it, but it's so rewarding, especially when you when you see the show and you see the results of it. It's um, it's pretty spectacular. So, you know, at the end of the day, when you work hard and you see the results of it, it all makes sense, and you feel better about what you did.
3: Uh,
4: next, we'll have Nick from Cinema Blend. Hello,
3: hello, Tim.
4: Hey, how you doing?
3: Very well, longtime fan and fellow
4: Louisianian, So good to talk to you. What part of Louisiana <laughs> are you from? Opelousas. If uh, yeah, I know where Opelousas. It's right. Opelousas. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess. Uh, can you talk about the timeline of the of the flashback scene and how that developed into just a full blown role?
4: You know, uh, it was, I guess a year ago. It's probably longer because during the last two or three years I think time's gotten so skewed but I, th- I think about a year ago Taylor called and asked if I l- liked Yellowstone and I'd never met Taylor before and I said well, we loved Yellowstone from the very first day and then he said well I'd like you to be on the show and then I I said I'd, I'd like to be on the show but I want to come up with something really different and cool I don't want to be just uh, some singer that comes through the bunkhouse and gets taken to the train station but um <laughs> <laughs> and then he called me about a week he said he had an idea he called me a week later and and told me about uh this flashback part of being in the 1880s and being the original Dutton that founded Yellowstone Ranch and and that intrigued me right off the bat so I said yes I'm in for that and uh we shot the flashback stuff and and a couple of months later a month and a half or so later he called me and said he was he was about to go into a meeting he thinks the network wants to make a make a prequel with with based on these flashbacks. And and um, I said, well, if we can, you go through all the business discussions about getting the deal right and all these kinds of things. But I said, we get everything right? And then, then we're in. And then he started sending scripts. And when we got the first couple of scripts, it was magic, just, just beautiful stuff. And he's such a talented writer. And when you get something like that, it's the best thing I've ever read. All the scripts I've read, including books that I've read and everything, this is one of the best things I've ever read. And when we got when we got that stuff and we started reading the scripts, Faith and I together, uh, we knew that we wanted to be a part of it. We just knew we had to be a part of it. And then when Sam Elliott came on board. So you got Taylor, a great script. I get to work with my wife, get to ride horses all day. And then Sam Elliott's on board. That's sort of a box that it's hard to get out of. Yeah. Uh, Next, we
0: have EL from Comic Book Resources. Hey, Tim. thanks for taking
4: the time to talk to us
0: today hi how are you i'm doing great so you've mentioned your wife a couple times now so i have to ask how was it acting alongside her
4: Oh, it was great you know i mean it's it's great working with your wife and, and spending time every day and being on set together the best part about having your wife there is you get to go home every night together and you know had, had this not been been this kind of show to work together i would be away from home you know all the time I mean this has been what all, four months it'll be five months when it's all over six days a week 12 hours a day um, I would have never seen her and we, I'd have never gotten home and she might be happy about that but but I wouldn't have been but uh, but it was great to work and it's also great to just see her as an actor just dive into this role and create this character that has is the backbone and and the steel of this family and what she is in real life in our family but to see her translate that into her character for this show was pretty amazing
0: next will be sterling from taste of country
4: hello tim how are you today i'm good how are you doing sterling
3: i'm doing really really well thanks yeah. um yeah, so the, uh, we're a countryside. So the question that's foremost in a lot of our readers' minds is: Will there be some way to involve you in faith musically in this show, as well as just acting
4: wise? You know, that's something that's not even on our radar. Mm-hmm. You know, we when we stepped into this show, and this show is really about an epic score, not so much songs or anything like that. So when we when we stepped into the show, that I mean, I, I've written songs it's inspired me to write songs i've written songs that that have you know a theme that sometimes revolve around some of the things that happen on the show but um it's not that kind of show it's not a show that that's gonna have anything to do with with us singing
2: right just because the characters you can't very well just burst into some big production yeah, number, we're, obviously.
4: Not gonna, yeah we're not gonna turn it into a broadway play but <laughs> But uh, yeah, in my character, James, I can't imagine him ever singing a note. (laughs) He's not not an artistic guy.
0: Next, we have
4: Caroline from Pop Culture Review.
1: Hi, Tim. This is Caroline. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you because there's so many stories that play individual characters like a cowboy, a pioneer, a war veteran, a dreamer, you play all of those plus a husband and a father. And I'm sure much more as the story unfolds. How did you prepare to take on so many different faces of this, of this man? He's got so many different sides.
4: Wow. You know, I think for me, it was just so much was on the page. Taylor's such a talented writer. So when you, when you sit down and you read what he wrote, it all jumps out at you. And it's the most complex character I've ever played. And so in my mind, I, I just start building a backstory uh, about James and who he is and what drives him. And you can find all those things if you read between the lines. And it really made sense to me. I mean, it was it was an opportunity to play somebody with so many different layers and play it in a way that um, your eyes, so you can read in his eyes what he's gone through. And and that was the way I approached it.
2: Michael, next question. Uh, so fathers and daughters are a big theme in the Yellowstone universe. We, we see it in Yellowstone, Maine. And obviously already uh, Jamie and Elsa have this deep bond. They seem to understand each other in a particular way. I was curious if your own experiences as being a father of daughters came into how you approach that aspect of the story for you. Absolutely. I mean, I think as an actor...
4: One of the things that you do, I mean, for me as an actor anyway, or, and, and my limited experience, is you find pieces of yourself in the character. And then what you do is you, you you see that character, you find pieces of yourself, and then you just put a magnifying glass on those pieces that fit that character, and you just blow those things up. And uh, that's what I tried to do with, with James. Is, I mean, I have three daughters, and... and I'm I'm not I'm probably not as tough as James, and I'm certainly not as hard on my kids as James is. But uh, face more of the disciplinarian on, on the kids than I am. But but there is a piece of that as a father and with your daughters, especially with boys and and with their career path and all those things that that you that you um, that you try to give advice and you try to pay attention to and you try to step up to as a father, but. Those are the things that you that you really magnify, and and sort of bring out in your character that matches the character. I guess the best way to say it is there's small pieces of you that are the same as the character, and big pieces, and you make those small pieces bigger pieces to match the character.
3: Nick, next question. I wondered if you could talk about uh, playing opposite Tom Hanks in in episode two and if you purposefully just botch the scene a bunch of times just to keep him there a little longer.
4: <laughs> you, you never want to botch a scene when you got Tom Hanks in there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, he's a great guy. We've been friends for a long time. Uh, Rita, his wife and Faith are, are best friends and, and Tom and I have been friends. We've been friends for uh, oh, 25 years, 24 years. So yeah, uh, I knew that there was this part in there, and I gave him a call and said, hey, would you be interested in showing up and doing a cameo in this show that we're doing? And he goes, tell me when to be there. And he just – he showed up, and he walked on set. And we didn't, we didn't see each other that whole morning because I didn't want to see what he looked like. He didn't want to see what I looked like because we know each other so well. So when he walked on set, it was pretty magical. And I, and, and when he puts his hand on my shoulder in that in that scene – you could feel the weight of the world between both of them with with what's what it had, had gone on. And it it was pretty, it was a pretty heavy scene.
0: Yeah. Next question. So we get to see you on horseback doing some hunting, doing some cowboy skills that Yellowstone is famous for. How much of this is stuff that you came into the show already knowing? And did you get to learn any new cowboying skills while on set?
4: You know, I grew up riding horses, so I I could probably ride before I could walk. I mean, my my stepdad was a cowboy, so. I spent a lot of time on horses growing up. However, over the last 20 years, I haven't spent that much time on a horse. I haven't had the opportunity or the time or, or even the inclination to spend that much time on a horse. So the first couple of weeks of cowboy camp was just sort of getting my, my seat back in the saddle. But it all came back pretty quickly. Um, and we have great wranglers, great guys who are teaching everybody. But uh, it, it, it came back pretty quickly. And, and I, that's one of the best things about this show for me is to be on horseback every day and to sort of haul ass across this rough terrain and shoot bad guys is, is, is uh, I mean, it's every kid's dream to be able to do that.
0: Sterling, next question.
2: So you've obviously done quite a bit of
3: acting before, but you've never carried a thing this extensive in which you're such a main portion of it. What is the prep like different for this and just physically and mentally and every, in every other way for you?
4: You know, I don't know that it's that much different than anything I've prepared for um, other than the physicality of it, which, which, you know, it's the, I guess the toughest part is I'm sort of a, a gym rat. So I have to, I have to be in the gym every morning. So the toughest part is being up at three in the morning, every morning in order to make your call time. So that's probably the hardest part of it is, is getting up at three, getting your workouts in because there's been a couple of days where I didn't do that and it's, the energy's not the same on set. But um, that, that was the main part of the prep is just, you know, keeping my, my mind together, which is my workouts are sort of like um, my meditation in a lot of ways. So, so to have that and that's, the, and that's the time that I go over my lines in and, and my head and, and I, I prepare for the day. And, and try to be ready for what's going on. And I try to know everyone's lines in the show. That way I can sort of feel the moment and be in the moment.
0: All right, Caroline, can we get last question from you?
1: Ooh, last question. Okay, now last, I feel like I have to change my question. <laughs> a <good> okay. one. <laughs> so Taylor is telling these epic stories of America we don't always see or think about. What is the message of 1883 that you hope viewers take away from the series?
4: Well, I, I, it's hard to put into to a short phrase, but I think it's it's the authenticity. Taking the veneer off the romanticism of the West and and just making it look like it was, like everybody sees a Western and they think that, I, well, I'd love to live in that time. That's the time I'd love to be in. But when you see this show, you realize the hardships, the, the struggle, the day-to-day survival of what these people, folks went through in order to take that journey across the country and I think that that's really the story of the whole show it's certainly a story about family it's a story about um coming of age for Elsa and it's a story about um man versus man man versus nature man versus himself it's all those things combined and and I think it it all it's also a story of what the American spirit's about thank you so much thank you
2: just a big thank you to IDPR, who is handling the PR for, uh, they call it the Taylor Sheridan universe for setting up all of those virtual roundtable interviews. Thank you to Tim McGraw for making himself available on a very early California morning to sit and talk with us and the other members of the media on that day. Uh, I think everyone you'll see in these interviews over the next couple of weeks was, was pretty great and, and a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, Carolyn, do you have any other further insight from that interview getting to talk to him?
1: Um, I would say that faith hill complimented my voice said i had a great voice so that was a super fun part of the
2: interview and tim asked us to specifically tell faith that he loved working with her and loved her very much and yeah. i remember to do that and even though i was like the fourth one to speak <laughs> i still remembered to do that so and
1: faith all blushed about that
2: <laughs> she did and then she started looking around as if he was there like he was gonna jump yeah. out he was like when did you talk when like did you talk to tim like i knew tim like she said that they had, like, had,
1: had some argument or something mm, it's like you were being a wicked messenger there
2: yes and she also started thinking do i know this guy who's talking to me about my husband (laughs) because she she was like where is tim when did you speak to him (laughs) i was like it was about a half hour ago
1: (laughs) they were all very lovely and i'm super glad we got a chance to talk to them and i'm really glad we get to sprinkle these interviews throughout all of our podcasts
3: this season you know what struck me about tim was i know that he's done a little acting here and there his interview came off super professional like a very Mm -hmm. practiced serious ready
2: to bear the weight of a serious lead
3: yeah. And, the, and and his acting is, I, I, I can't find any any fault in it. I think it's great. Um, he, He's a very believable frontiersman and cowboy man. It's just how he hasn't been doing this longer. I, I can't explain because he's a very natural fit and he comes off that way in the interview.
1: Side note, Mike and I just covered Four Christmases in which Tim McGraw plays Vince Vaughn's brother.
3: You see, I don't want to hear about that. Because I only want to hear him as a cowboy. (laughs) Oddly enough,
2: he's named Dallas in that movie. He is. The place where he was conceived. That
1: is correct.
2: And he's also a psychotic (laughs) MMA fighter who beats the shit out of Vince Vaughn a lot. Alright guys, last round up before we end this premiere episode, which we don't get to cover too many series premieres, so I feel like this Especially is a special moment. Especially not
1: as the threesome, as a, the founders of Pod Clubhouse, I'm super glad we got a chance to have Paul on for this episode. Paul, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Oh, and I, I'm, thanks for having me. We are the real big three. Uh, I know any of you <laughs> This Is Us fans out there, you, can hey. could, you guys can suck it. We are the real big three. So. <laughs> but
1: if you guys are enjoying the big three, please join Paul and I in our continuing coverage of This Is Us starting January 4th.
2: I was, yeah, only a, a couple of weeks from when you guys are going to be listening to this episode. So definitely go check that out and subscribe to it on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, what are what are some predictions or or some things that you're hoping to get out of the series? I, I mean, I could start. I'm looking for uh, the connection to Yellowstone while they tell a really epic story. I, I want to hear an epic story of the Old West, but I want it very much to connect to the Duttons of the present. I want to be able to see, oh, there's that or there's this, and and, and connect those threads. I want to
3: see cowboy action. I, I like westerns. Westerns have gone through a a big drought in the past. Oh, I don't know, thirty years of of TV and and uh, filmmaking. As much as I'm here for the storytelling for which I've come become accustomed in Yellowstone, I'm also here to see guys shooting other guys.
1: I'm going to add that I am looking forward to some historical realism when it comes to what the West was like back then, because I think we get this very watered down version in a lot of Hollywood stories. And this is something that I think Yellowstone has started when they're they're showing us what the real rugged landscape looks like and what cowboys really have to go through. And I want to see that in an 1883 lens. This is Caroline. This
2: is Paul. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the Yellowstone podcast, 1883. Don't forget to head to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. And while you are there, please leave us a five-star rating so that we don't have to, oh, I don't know, shoot you in the back and have you strung up in the street for not giving us a good review. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production.